All right. All right. How's everybody doing? Hotep A, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. We are live. Hope, hope everybody's doing well. Okay, so I wanted to broadcast earlier, but uh, I was tied up. And um, I'm getting ready to head to Atlanta for the Black Homeschooling Conference this weekend, Friday, July 13th through Sunday, July 15th uh, in Atlanta at the Piedmont Technical Center, okay? So visit liberatedmindsexpo.com, liberatedmindsexpo.com for more information. So this morning I saw this story dealing with um, uh, African-American farmers in Memphis, Tennessee, and their claims that they were sold uh, fake uh, seeds, fake soybean seeds, or bad soybean seeds, and they were sold this on purpose, okay? And uh, they're claiming that uh, this is all designed to uh, cause them to lose their land also, all right? So this is a very deep story. I first saw the article early this morning from rawstory.com, okay, because I monitor a number of different news sources daily. So I saw this story from rawstory.com and also atlantablackstar.com uh, has it as well. And then I know today on um, uh, Keeping It Real with Reverend Al Sharpton, when the callers called in and talked about this story also. And this also ties into uh, the uh, lawsuit that the black farmers filed against the U.S. government. And it was President Obama who actually paid out on that lawsuit. Nobody wants to talk about that. Uh, a few years ago, but also there's a history of African-Americans losing land. I mean, we went from owning uh, 15 million acres of land um, to uh, owning less than 2 million acres of land today. And uh, majority of, uh, majority of that land was farmland. Okay, so we're going to talk about this. All right, how's everybody doing? Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Then also I want to let you know we have one more day left in our special promotion for African-American business owners. Uh, buy one month, get one month free. You can advertise with the African History Network, reach thousands of uh, uh, potential customers, okay? Email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information. That's going to expire uh, Thursday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, July 12th. Okay, uh, you can take your business to the next level. Email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information. So when we look at the article from uh, black, uh, from rawstory.com, black farmers were deliberately sold fake seeds and scheme to steal their land. Okay, black farmers were deliberately sold fake seeds and scheme to steal their land report. And uh, they... Um, uh, interviewed, uh, they, they picked up the story from a, a local news source, WMEC News Channel 5, okay, uh, and then also um, there was another new local news source as well. But they interviewed Thomas Burrell. Now, Thomas Burrell is the president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, all right, and uh, African-American farmers in the Mid-South region surrounding Memphis, Tennessee, used science, used science to uncover a multi-million dollar scheme to put them out of business and steal their farmland. This story was reported uh, by WMEC, I think it's Channel 5 News, on Tuesday, July 10th, 2018. 
Now, at the Mid-South uh, Farm and Gin Show, G-I-N, Gin Show, in March of 2017, African-American farmers believe that the Stein Seed Company, S-T-I-N-E, the Stein Seed Company, purpose, purposefully sold them fake seeds. They believe this was deliberate. This was on purpose. Now, Thomas Burrell, who's the president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, explained how African-American farmers were receiving one-tenth, one-tenth of the yield as their white neighbors or one-tenth of the uh, crops that are, that are grown from these seeds, from these seeds. So he said, Mother Nature does not discriminate. It doesn't rain on white farms, but not black farms. Insects don't only attack black farmers' land. Why is it then that white farmers are buying Stein Seed from that from the uh, from the Stein Seed Company? Okay, why is it that white farmers are buying Stein Seed and their yield is 60, 70, 80, and 100 bushels of soybeans? And black farmers who are using the exact same equipment with the exact same land, all of a sudden, your seeds are coming up five, six, and seven bushels. So this is the question he asked. This is not like they just started, these African-American farmers just started growing soybeans. No, they have a history of doing this. Now, the results were so stark such a stark difference in what they, in the yield they were getting from the soybeans, they were buying from the Stein Seed Company, okay? The, the results were so stark, resulting in millions of dollars in losses that, the, the, that these African-American farmers took their seeds for scientific testing by experts at Mississippi State University. They took their seeds for expert testing at Mississippi State University. Scientific testing. So the tests revealed that the African-American farmers had not been given the quality certified, quote unquote, certified Stein seeds for which they had paid for. They were given something other than what they paid for. Now, Thomas Burrell, who's the president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, suggested a land grab was the ultimate motivation of the perpetrators. A massive land grab. They're going after these farmers' land. Okay, now it's only about 45,000 uh, or less than 45,000 uh, African American farmers today. Okay, now in 1930, uh, well, if we go back to 1925, about 1925, there were, or 1920, there were about 920,000 African American owned farms. 925,000. African-American-owned farms in 1920. The numbers I've seen from 1930, it's about 900,000. If you read How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy, they talk about the theft of land in here. This is from the Nation of Islam Research Group. It's very well put together, very well documented. Uh, this is the third edition. Any of the editions are good. This is the second edition with Donald Sterling on the cover, former owner of the LA Clippers, okay? I have all three editions. This is the latest edition. Uh, they talk about the massive land grab, all right? And uh, they, they deal with how in 1930, uh, they talk about how during the Great Depression, uh, so many African-American uh, farmers lost their land, okay? 
And on page 73, uh, they say, as a result, Black-owned farms unable to compete with the well-subsidized and well-financed white farms fell dramatically from about 900,000 in 1930 to 682,000 in 1939. Now, this is as a result of a Farmers Home Administration, the FHA, okay? All this deals with policy, all this deals with politics. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement, all right? Voting is only one aspect of politics. Politics impacts every aspect of your life, from the water you drink, to the air you breathe, to the food you eat. So this is during the Great Depression, 1930, 1939, Great Depression era. They, they're talking about the Farmers Home Administration, the FHA, which is one of these entities that come out of the, uh, basically come out of the New Deal. The Farmers Home Administration was set up in 1930 to give loans and subsidies to white farmers to sustain and maintain their operations. The stock market crashes in 1929, which starts the Great Depression. These farmers, they set up the Farmer Home Administration, right, to give low interest loans to white farmers so they can stay in business, pay the mortgages on their farms, you know, pay their uh, employees, right, and mechanize their farms so they can become more efficient. Now, to achieve this unstated, to, to achieve this unstated racist, to achieve this unstated racist purpose of the Farmers Home Administration, um, the FHA allowed local whites to operate the program, and they and and they, not the federal government, decided who would get the critical benefits. So this, so the for, so the funds almost exclusively went to white farmers, so they can keep their farms. But we didn't get those loans, so we lost hundreds of thousands of our farms. We lost millions of acres of land during the Great Depression. So as a result, black-owned farms unable to compete with the well-subsidized and well-financed white farms fell dramatically from about 900,000 in 1930 to 682,000 in, in 1939. Many of the white farmers used the government money to modernize by buying tractors and evicting black sharecroppers. So even though sharecropping was an undesirable condition for African-Americans, it's even worse for you to be a sharecropper during the Great Depression and lose your job as a sharecropper. Because when these white farmers are giving these loans, they can buy tractors, they can mechanize their farms, they're getting rid of black sharecroppers during the Great Depression. Now, many of the whites use the government money to modernize by buying tractors and evicting black sharecroppers. The U.S. Congress amended the law to say that half the money should go to those tenant farmers, those tenant farmers like sharecroppers, but the white landholders simply stole the farmers' payments, claiming if they were asked that debts were owed. So they say, well, Joe owes, he owes last year, last year's crop wasn't that good, we loaned him the feed, he stayed here, he, owned, he owes for that, so we're gonna take this money coming from the government instead of giving it to Joe so he can go buy his own farm no, he owes us money, so and, and and we keep the books also. So Joe doesn't even know Joe doesn't even have the books. Joe isn't given access to the books. We keep the books, we tell him what he owes. And no, Joe, you're in debt. So we're gonna take this money right here. We're gonna put it in our pockets. All right. This is what happened. 
Read pages 72 and 73 of How White Folks Got So Rich, the untold story of American white supremacy, okay? So when you look at what's taking place right now, this, this article came out today and yesterday, okay? The, you know, um, Dr. John Henry Clark taught us that all history is a current event. Everything that's ever happened continues to happen in some shape, form, or fashion, all right? So when we go back to this article from rawstory.com, and then you should check out this other article that I'm going to come to in just a minute. African-Americans have lost untold acres of land over the last century. This is from June 26, 2017, last year, from the nation.com. Okay, this deals with how we lost about 14 million acres of land through various ways, a lot of, a lot of it very deceptive. Some of, some of us were run off of our lands by white terrorism in the South, okay? All right, so if we, if we go back to what this, this story that came out today from rawstory.com. The, the tests reveal that these African-American farmers had not been given the quality, quote unquote, certified Stein seeds, Stein seeds for which they paid, okay? And they bought soybean seeds from the Stein Seed Company, all right? So uh, it goes on to say, quote, all we have to do is look at here. 80 years ago, you had 1 million black farmers. Today, you have less than 5,000, okay? 80 years ago, this is Tom Burrell, who is the president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association. See, this is a whole part of history that's not talked about. And the civil rights movement did not correct this. Now, Dr. King was trying to address this with the Poor People's Campaign. He was trying to address this with the Poor People's Campaign, but he was assassinated while the Poor People's Campaign was going on, April 4th, 1968. So he didn't make it to Washington, D.C. They were taking this fight all the way to Washington, D.C. They ended up uh, at, in Washington, D.C., June 19th, Juneteenth, 1968. So this is two months after Dr. King was assassinated. So Thomas, Thomas Burrell said, all we have to do is look, okay? 80 years ago, you had one million black farmers. Today, you have less than 5,000 African-American farmers. These individuals did not buy 60 million acres of land just to, just to uh, uh, let it lay idle, okay? The sons and daughters, the heirs of African-American farmers or black farmers want to farm just like the sons and daughters of white farmers. He goes on to say, so we have to acknowledge that racism is the motivation here. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Racism is a power structure which comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. Racism has nothing to do with calling people racial epithets, calling people the N-word and things like that. That's bigotry. That's not racism. Racism is a power structure. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. The Farmers Home Administration created in 1930, which gave low interest loans to white farmers and not to African-American farmers. So white farmers can mechanize their farms and keep their farms and we end up losing our, ours. That comes out of racism. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of the wealth, power, resources, benefits, pri privileges, land, access to education, access to opportunity, uh, wealth, uh, media, etc access to jobs, and they use that to marginalize, subordinate, and do harm to another race of people. That's what racism is. 
That's a power structure which comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. This ideology is going to emerge in the late 1400s, early 1500s, as Europeans start to circumnavigate the globe and they operate based upon manifest destiny, based upon the ideology that European culture is superior to other people's culture. And because of manifest destiny, this gives them the right, that their God-given right, the authority from God, that they can go and conquer other people's land, take control of other people's land and natural resources, subordinate and enslave other people. And as they start to circumnavigate the globe, they realize the majority of the world is non-European. And as they intermix with these cultures, as these white men have sex with these various women of different ethnicities, and that child is born, they realize that child is no longer white. And they realize that they do not put something in place, a, a, a system in place to preserve genetic white survival, they realize they can be wiped off the face of the earth. This is after the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who go on in 711 AD from Morocco. They go from North, uh, North Africa. They go from Morocco. They're going from West Africa. And you have, uh, you have waves of these African men known as the Moors, largely because it's going to be largely African men initially. And they're going to intermix with the European population, intermix with white women. And they see when that child is born, that child is no longer white. So they were, Europeans were dealing with the Moors for about 800 years, right? Be, uh, and then when they really start circumnavigating the globe, they see that the majority of the world is non-European. And they start putting these systems in place. And one of the people who, who helps to really spread racism or, the, or what we would later call racism is going to be Cristobal Colon or who we call Christopher Columbus who set sail August 3rd, 1492 on the Nina de Penta in Santa Maria. So we have to understand, so, so, so as, as Professor Kabahai Wafa Kamene teaches, as formerly known as Booker T. Coleman, who's one of my teachers, you've seen or heard a lot of my interviews with him. He's in the Hidden Colors documentaries, we're in the Black Friday documentaries together and Elementary Genocide 3 from uh, director uh, Raheem Shabazz, and shout out to Rick Mathis, creator of the Black Friday series. Professor Kaba Kamene talks about how to understand the existence of something, you first must understand the pre-existence of existence. To understand the existence of something, you first must understand the pre-existence of existence, okay? All right, so if we look at, uh, go back to this article from uh, rawstory.com, black farmers were deliberately sold fake seeds in scheme to steal their land report. Now, rawstory.com is a white publication and they're telling you this. RawStory.com is a white publication. They have a lot of good articles. This is, uh, this is one of the 35 news sources I look at on a daily basis. All right, so um, it, it goes on to say, the farmers have filed, these African-American farmers have filed a class action lawsuit in United States District Court for the Western Division in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Now, a state, legis a state legislator is also seeking an investigation into this scheme this scheme to sell these quote unquote allegedly fake soybean seeds. Tennessee Representative G.A. Hardaway, G.A. Hardaway, Democrat from Memphis, vowed state government would, vowed that the state government would investigate quote unquote issues which have negatively impacted our black farmers, end quote. Okay, Representative Hardaway went on to say, we would explore the avenues where it's civil whether it's criminal, whether it's civil, whether it's criminal, whether it's a civil case or when this is a criminal case, okay, dealing with fraud. 
Now, one former, uh, one farmer who was victimized is named David Hall. And David Hall explained why he had paid extra for high quality seeds, okay? These high quality soybean seeds. Uh, David Hall said, we bought nearly $90,000 worth of seed. It's been known to produce high yield, so you expect it when you pay the money for it to produce the high yields, okay? Okay, he said it's been known to produce high yields. That means to produce a large amount of crops, okay, from these seeds. He says, so you expect it when you pay the money for it to produce high yields. So he's saying, well, hey, you get what you pay for. So we want the higher quality seeds so we can get more bushels from it, so we can sell more, so we can make more money, more revenue, more profit. Now, Thomas Burrell, who is the president of the Black Farmers and Agricultural Association, he said, uh, no matter, he said, no matter much rain Mother Nature gives you, if the germination is zero, the seed is impotent. He's basically saying, no matter how much rain Mother Nature gives you, if the germination is zero, if the seed is no good, then, you know, if the, the germination is zero, then the seed is impotent. Now, in a statement released from the Stein Seed Company, this is who they are suing, Myron Stein uh, said, quote, the lawsuit against Stein Seed Company is without merit and factually unsupportable. Stein takes seriously any allegations of unlawful, improper, or discriminatory conduct and is disturbed by the baseless allegations leveled against the company. Upon, upon learning of these claims, the company took swift action to conduct an internal investigation, which has not revealed any evidence that would support these allegations. Stein intends, Stein Seed Company intends to vigorously defend itself against this meritless lawsuit and has filed a motion to dismiss. Our, our focus is on continuing to serve all of our customers with the highest degree of integrity and respect that are the bedrock of our values, end quote. Okay, now this is a statement from Myron Stein, S-T-I-N-E, of the Stein Seed Company. This is who these African-American farmers are suing, all right? Uh, check out this article from, um, rawstory.com it's a really good article and you can look at the source articles uh like coming from uh, the local the local news sources uh like wmec okay wmec all right how's everybody doing i want to go to the other article from atlantablackstar.com about the same story and uh i want to let you all know email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com african-american business owners because we have one more day of our special promotion. Uh, we can advertise with the African History Network and buy one month, get one month free. We put your 30 second and 60 second commercial in the podcast of our radio shows. And if you don't have a commercial, we can record one for you. Email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information about that. And also, if you're an African American business owner, you can list the name of your business here on the thread of our broadcast. We'll shout you out also. Now, the article about this same story from AtlantaBlackStar.com is called Black Memphis Farmers Were Deliberately Sold Bad Seed and Schemed to Put Them Out of Business. Okay, this is by Tanasia, Tanasia Kenny, uh, uh, Wednesday, July 11, 2018. 
All right, and um, they have some of the same information in here as well. So check out this um, check out this article also. All right, now if we look at some of the history of African American farmers losing our land, there was an article from June 30th of 2017 from AtlantaBlackStar.com. It's a fantastic, fantastic news website for news pertaining to the African American community. From 15 million acres to 1 million, how black people lost their land. From 15 million acres to 1 million, how black people lost their land. And in this article from uh, David Love, this article was picked up from the article from June 26, 2017 from the nation.com called African Americans have lost untold acres of land over the last century. But uh, in this article, they talk about how at its height, Black, owned, black land ownership was impressive. At the, turn of the, at the turn of the 20th century, okay, so we're looking at the early 1900s, formerly enslaved African Americans and their heirs owned 15 million acres of land, primarily in the South, mostly used for farming. In 1920, the 925,000 African American farms represented 14% of the farms in the U.S. Sadly, things turned for the worse as 600,000 African-American farmers were forced off their land with only 45,000 African-American farms remaining in 1975. So you go from 925,000 African-American-owned farms in 1920 to only 45,000 African-American farms in 1975. Okay, over that 55 year period of time, you have over 800,000 farms basically lost. Now, African-Americans are only 1% of rural landowners in the U.S. and under 2% of farmers. Of the 1 billion acres of, of arable land in America, um, African-Americans today own a little more than 1 million acres according to the Associated Press. Now, during the Obama administration, the U.S. Department of Agriculture settled with African-American farmers for $2.3 billion for their longstanding claims of discrimination in farm loans and other government programs. Okay, that goes back to 1930 and the Farmers Home Administration, which we talked about, that they talk about in this book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. Okay. Uh, and the Farmers Home Administration was created in 1930, and it was set up to give loans and subsidies to white farmers to sustain and maintain their operations. This is the year after the Great Depression starts in 1929. Now, over the years, African Americans have lost their land through a number of circumstances, including government action, deception, and a reign of domestic terror in the South that forced African-Americans from their homes through threats of violence and lynching, okay? We saw, even though it's not in the South, Omaha, Nebraska, we saw Malcolm X's family. We saw them ran off their land in Omaha, Nebraska, and they owned a farm there, okay, by the Black Legion or, or Ku Klux Klan like group, okay? And we know if you look at the, um, a few months ago, you had the uh, lynching memorial uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, in the lynching museum that was open from the Equal Justice Initiative. 
and they talk about the racial terror inflicted upon African-Americans from 1877 to 1950, and you had over 4,000 lynchings that took place, and all except 300 of them took place in the South. So there's a, and, and, and when you uh, listen to interviews of, of Brian Stevenson, who's the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, when they were talking about the opening of the museum, uh, he talked about how there was a, a wave of racial terror that ran, ran many African-Americans off of their land. There's a history, and then their land was confiscated by, by white people. Now, the terror and economic exploitation, uh, this terror and economic exploitation precipitated the Great Migration which resulted in the uprooting of over 6 million African-Americans African -Americans from the South and their relocation in the North, Midwest, and the West between 1916, 1916 and 1970. So some sources show 5 million African-Americans uh, um, migrating during the Great Migration. Some show 6 million. Usually it's from about 1915 and 1970. And it's largely precipitated. Uh, the, 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 the real big catalyst of it was World War One. Yes, you have the auto industry and, and uh, Henry Ford. And you're going to have some migrating before then, okay? Because Henry Ford um, uh, sets up, uh, I think he starts making cars around 1908 in Highland Park, Michigan, with the Ford Motor Company. But um, World War One, what happens is, is you have five million men who go away and fight in the war, almost all of them white, and this leaves a labor vacuum in factories. This leaves, this leaves a huge amount of job openings. So you have factories up north and, and corporations up north who are marketing to African-Americans in the South saying, come up here because they need labor, okay? So, so you had a lot of African-Americans leaving the South some sharecroppers, some farm owners, what have you, uh, whatever it is, domestics, farmers, tenant farmers, whatever, what have you. But you have a lot of them leaving the South, going up north to work in the factories. So, so the Great Migration, we lose millions of acres of land. Some of, some of them are leaving on their own. Some are ran out of the South because of terrorism. They say, well, look, we're going to go work in the factory. But they're looking. They, wanna, they want home ownership. You know, they want a fair mortgage. They want home ownership. They're looking for equal protection under the law also, and they are escaping Jim Crow laws. They, they are escaping the lynchings taking place. They are white terrorism. Okay, so uh, the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com goes on to say, how we lost the land is an untold story. An investigation by the AP Associated Press documented the process by which people were tricked or in, or or uh, uh, intimated out of their property, okay? I'm not sure if you meant to say intimidated, okay? Uh, in this study of 107 land takings, 107 land takings or thefts in 13 southern and border states, 406 landowners lost over 24,000 acres of land uh, of the farm, over 24,000 acres of farm and timberland, and 85, not the wrapper, but timberland, two words, okay, and, 80, and 85 properties, such lots and stores, okay? So it wasn't just, wasn't just farmland, 
you know, you had a lot of African-American business owners also. We lost that land as well. Now, the property which today is owned by white people and corporations is valued in the tens of millions of dollars. In recent years, groups such as the Federation of Southern Cooperatives in Atlanta and the Land Loss Prevention Project in Durham, North Carolina, received new reports of land takings or land thefts on a regular basis, while the Penn Center, P-E-N, Penn Center in St. Helena Island, South Carolina, has gathered 2,000 such cases. One story from the Associated Press provides the context by which families lost their land to thievery and violence, to thievery and violence. So if you um, uh, check out the article, I'm gonna pull up this article from, uh, uh, you know, I talked about when the uh, lynching museum opened. See, all these historical events are connected. You, you, you have to understand how a sequence of historical events lead up to other events taking place. Historical events don't take place in a vacuum. This is why we have to understand history. P policies are put into place to address conditions. The, the policies address conditions, then uh, the new policies put into place have side effects. Uh, and then policies are put into place to address, address the side effects of the conditions created by policies. So you have to understand how this is cyclical as well. This is one of the reasons why the NAACP was formed in 1909 to fight against the rampant lynchings that were taking place. They were trying to fight for um, a federal anti-lynching law, okay, that they never got. So when you have the silent march of uh, 1917, you have about 11,000 African-Americans marching, I think it was in New York, the silent march, they're, they're fighting for uh, a federal anti-lynching law and this took place after the East St. Louis race riot of, of 1917. The East St. Louis, research that. I, I did a, a presentation on that before. Uh, the East St. A broadcast on that. The East St. Louis race riot of 1917. Okay? And when you look at the NAACP, they're formed. We know about the Niagara Movement formed in 1905. But they're, they're formed after the Springfield, Illinois race riot of 1908. And this is one of the, um, this is one of the, uh, um, at that time, one of the rare race rides in the North, okay, at that time. Uh, now, the, here's the other thing. As you have, uh, because of the Great Migration, and you have more African Americans migrating from the South up North, you're going to have an increase in race rides take place in the North also. Yes, and if you read uh, before the Mayflower, before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr., and you look at the back of uh, the before the Mayflower, he gives a chronology of history going back to about 1619, year by year, and you can see during the Great Migration, and as you go into the 20s and 30s and 40s, you can see an increase in the number of uh, race rides and things like this that take place in the North. As more African Americans move up north. It, it, you have an increase, you have a, um, a greater competition for jobs, you have more pressure put on um, uh, social services, government services, more competition for housing, things like this. You have an increase in racial incidences, uh, race rides, etc. that take place uh, as a result of the Great Migration. Okay, and they're going to migrate up north and then also out west, out like California, go to Los Angeles and Oakland, California, things like this, right? Okay, how's everybody doing?
share this broadcast on your Facebook page, invite your friends to tune in, how you like this type of information, okay? See, this, this all deals with history. History is impacted by economics, history is impacted by politics, and your history and culture gives you your values, your interests, and your principles, your VIPs, your values, your interests, and your principles, and influences your economic empowerment and political empowerment. You have to have a synthesis of all three. It's not one or the other. You have to have a synthesis of all three, okay? All right, now if you like this type of information, be sure to register for the online courses that I teach also. They're all on demand. We have a bundle pack, a 10 in a bundle pack. They're on sale, $60, regularly $130, and they include understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, which is a 14-hour, seven-session online course that uh, I teach. It's all on demand. Uh, we deal with thousands of years of history, okay? And you can also register for that. We just posted a link here, but you can also register at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And those that are African-American business owners, uh, we have one day, one more day left in our special promotion where you can advertise with the African History Network, reach thousands of uh, potential uh, customers. Um, buy one month get one month free okay email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information and we can get you started today in that we put uh, uh your commercial your 60 second commercial into the audio podcast of our radio shows and they're on blog talk radio itunes and cast box on blog talk alone we get between four thousand to eight thousand listens per episode within within about one to two weeks um, and we have some other things for you as well. Email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information. I have six uh, advertising slots left because I only have a certain number of inventory. So I have six advertising slots left. So email us uh, to like now. Okay, uh, let's continue here. All right, so this article from June of 2017 from thenation.com, and the nation has some really, really good articles. They had a good series of articles dealing with uh, voter suppression that was taking place during the 2016 election cycle. African-Americans have lost untold acres of land over the last century. An obscure legal loophole is often to blame. Okay, and what is politics? Politics deals with law. The legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And one of the biggest problems that we have is, one, we don't understand history. Two, we don't understand law. All right? And uh, this was the uh, basically the source article of for the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com written by David A. Love um, entitled... Uh, from 15 million acres to 1 million, how black people lost their land. This is real history, okay? So um, he, he talks about how one story from the Associated Press provides the context by which families, African-American families, lost their land to thievery and violence, all right? And I'm gonna go to that, and I, I wanna uh, bring up the uh, article about the lynching memorial, lynching museum. I want you to check this out as well, okay? Because people think all oh, this is in the past. No, no, the, the, the past, the, the, the events of the past help to shape the present and the future, okay? Um, there's one article here, I think this is Huffington Post Black Voices. Uh, let me see, is this one of them here? Let's see. 
there's one uh, New York Times history of lynchings in the in the South documents nearly 4,000 names. Okay, I think that's one of them. All right, because there was a report from the Equal Justice Initiative from a few years ago that talked about how, based upon their research, they discovered uh, about 4,000 um, lynchings that took place from 1877 to 1850, and most of them, uh, most of these lynchings we didn't know about. Okay, now this is from 2015. It's still a good article. And uh, this, I think this deals with the Equal Justice Initiative also. This is called um, History of Lynchings in the South, documents nearly 4,000 names. History of Lynchings in the South documents nearly 4,000 names. And what the Lynching Museum was doing was memorializing these victims of the lynchings, then they were, they had their names there, uh, brief information about their, their, the, the story of what happened to them, things like this, okay? Uh, let me see. And let me try to pull up one on the lynching museum. And we'll go back to this. Okay, here we go here. Yeah, lynching didn't disappear, it just evolved. Lynching didn't disappear, it just evolved. A.T. McWilliams, this is for uh, HuffingtonPost.com. And they talk about while visiting the newly opened National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, a hallowed and harrowing enshrinement bearing the names of over 4,000 black people lynched in the Jim Crow South. I was reminded of the stories my grandparents told me as a child, okay? Uh, stories of my great-grandfather once chased by Ku Klux Klan members on horseback before swimming to safety, preferring possible death by drowning to murder by his countrymen. Stories of my great-grandmother, whose white partner was burned alive in his home for loving a black woman. Stories of uniquely American terrorism, seldom told and rarely reconciled, okay? But with this new memorial and its complimentary legacy museum, the Equal Justice Initiative, which built them, built the memorial and the museum, may finally achieve reconciliation for such racial terror by recognizing the lives lost to lynching and illustrating slavery's evolution through the accounts of its victims, both past and present. The Equal Justice Initiative teaches us how storytelling can be used to acknowledge America's violent past and heal slavery's longstanding wounds, okay? You can read the rest of this. This is uh, uh, HuffingtonPost.com, maybe Huffington Post Black Voices. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll post a link here. We'll post a link here so you can check this out, okay? Because this all deals with history. And this all deals today with uh, what we're dealing with today. And unfortunately, most African-Americans don't understand this history and most white people don't understand it either. So we operate out of ignorance or we operate out of a bunch of myths and stereotypes which are based upon ignorance. Okay, when people don't have the factual information, then uh, lies and stereotypes are allowed to persist. Okay, so let's post this here. All right. Okay, how's everybody doing? All right, so if we go back to the article from uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, uh, from 15 million acres to 1 million, how black people lost uh, their land. 
And if you're an African-American business owner, go ahead and uh, you can post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. We'll give you a shout out. Be sure to email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com so we can get you some information about advertising with us. You can take advantage of our uh, special promotion, buy one month, get one month free. All right, so, for the, okay, here we go. All right, so uh, here's a story. Uh, one story from the Associated Press provides the context by which families lost their land to thievery and violence. So after midnight on October 4th, 1908, October 4th, 1908, 50 hooded white men surrounded the home of a black farmer in Hickman, Kentucky, and ordered him to come out for a whipping. When David Walker refused, and shot at them uh, instead. The mob poured coal, coal oil, coal oil on his house and set it afire, according to contemporary newspaper accounts. Pleading for mercy, uh, David Walker ran out the front door, followed by four screaming children and his wife carrying a baby in her arms. The mob shot them all, wounding three children and killing the others. Okay, the mob shot them all, wounding three children and killing the others. David Walker's oldest son never escaped the burning house. No one was ever charged with the killings, and the surviving children were deprived of the farm their father died defending. The, uh, the surviving children were deprived of the farm their father died defending. Land records show that David Walker's two, eight, two and a half acre farm was simply folded into the property of a white neighbor. Land records show that David Walker's two and a half acre farm was simply folded into the property of a white neighbor. The neighbor soon, the neighbor soon sold it to another man, probably white, whose daughter owns the undeveloped land today. There's a history, there's a history of racial terrorism in the South, taking, killing African-Americans, taking their land or running them off of their land and, and them fleeing, going up north, going somewhere else, fleeing racial terrorism. So land is among, so the article goes on to say, land is among the most important assets people can own. And this is why ownership of land for formerly enslaved Africans was so important after the Civil War ended. So this is why when you have organizations dealing with suing for reparations, they need to understand law first to do this properly because many of them unfortunately don't. But this is what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about the theft of land, but also we're dealing with how the U.S. government violated its own laws because as of January 1st, 1808, the importation of African people as slaves was prohibited because of a bill that passed Congress March 2nd, 1807, that prohibited the importation of enslaved Africans. And that went to effect January 1st, 1808. So when they continue to bring Africans into this country as slaves, starting in January 1st, 1808, they violated their own laws. Now you have a legal argument. Prior to that, you really don't have a legal argument because it was legal to enslave Africans. It was legal to bring them in. 
And you don't go to a legal court to make a moral argument. You go to a legal court to make a legal argument. You don't go to a legal court to say how wrong and immoral something was. You go to a legal court to make a legal argument. Okay, so check out the article from Dr. Jahi Issa and Brother Reggie Mabry at, uh, uh, they, they, they wrote an article um, dealing with uh, slavery is dead, here's how to revive it or something like that, Slavery's Dead, just Google that. Dr. Jahi Issa, J-A-H-I, and uh, Reggie Marbury, okay? Because I interviewed them uh, before and we went in depth and broke, broke down that history, okay? All right. Okay, so who we have here? We got Lonnie, we've got uh, Ron, okay, Sharon. Uh, Davis, okay, says facts. Kim, okay, how you doing, Kim? Brother Abdul in Detroit, how you doing, Abdul? Abdul Akil. All right, so land is among the most important assets people can own, certainly for the rural society in which many African-Americans traditionally have lived. Land represented prosperity, intergenerational wealth, family, and community. According to the U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, land can be a vital part of cultural and social identities, a valuable asset to stimulate economic growth and a central component to preserving natural resources and building societies that are inclusive, resilient, and sustainable, end quote. All right, um, let's see here. Okay, so when we deal with policies and we are pushing political agendas and we deal with policies, we have to be pushing policies that address this theft of land. We have to deal with policies that address this theft of land. This, is, this was wealth that was stolen, okay? This was wealth that was stolen. Let me see here. Uh, and uh, let me see. There was something here in the article from uh, the nation.com I wanted to highlight. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the article from the nation.com is entitled, this was the source article from the one from Atlanta Black Star. African Americans have lost untold acres of land over the last century. And this is from June 26, 2017. So you see, this ties right into the story of the black farmers that came out yesterday and today. This ties right to that story. Um, it talks about how, uh, okay, so it says as the, as uh, they, they give, they tell the story of uh, Matthew Allen, okay? Matthew Allen, who is uh, now in his 70s, okay? Matthew Allen grew up visiting uh, uh, his family's land where his father and grandfather grew up, okay? He said, when my father was coming up, uh, they used to go down to, to the water to fish. They used to hunt. They used to farm the land, used to grow okra, corn, sweet potatoes. They took full advantage of the land, okay? Um, now, it was Dennis Allen, Dennis Allen, who was Matthew Allen's great-grandfather, who purchased the land on Hilton Head, okay, Hilton Head. And that's in, uh, I think that's South Carolina. Okay, 
but uh, yeah, uh, Rhodes Hilton Head, okay. Yeah, all right, so. Um, so the son of slaves, Dennis, Dennis Allen, who was Matthew's great-grandfather, the son of slaves, Dennis Allen, bought his first par parcel of land nearly 20 acres in 1897, 1897, okay? So this is less than, this is uh, 22 years after slavery ends in 1865. Now this is at a time when African-Americans were purchasing land across the country, all right? Because even though many of us were sharecroppers, things like this, a lot of us were gonna be able to purchase land, earn some money, purchase land, okay? Now today, the Allen family owns the largest undeveloped lot on Hilton Head. But as the land enters its 120th year in the family, and you got a whole lot of white families that have land that was handed down generation after generation because of things like the Homestead Act of 1862, okay, during the second year of the Civil War, which gave, which, which redistributed 250 million acres of land. And this was probably the, probably one of the biggest land giveaways in the history of this country. And they gave away land for over a hundred years. The last claim was filed in 1976, based upon the Homestead Act of 1862. The last allotment was was um, given out in 1988. Um, 80 acres of land in Alaska. Go to history.com, history.com, which is the official website of the History Channel. Search for the Homestead Act, and they break down its history. And African-Americans were almost exclusively locked out. 99.9% of this land went to white people, all right? And white peasants coming to this country also, white immigrants coming to this country. And this land, we were locked out of this land giveaway after we were the ones who plowed the land and took care of the land for 246 years for free, largely during slavery. So, um, So today the Allen family owns the largest undeveloped lot of land in Hilton Head, okay? But as the land enters its 120th year in, in the family, the Allens are struggling to hold onto this land because of uh, ambiguities surrounding the land's title, because of ambiguities surrounding the land's title. Okay, this deals with law. There is no primary owner of the property. All of the heirs, of, of the original owners, all of the, 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 the heirs, those who were left something in the will, okay, an inheritance, all of the heirs of the uh, original owners, and there are more than 100 known heirs, these are all legally co-owners, okay? As such, the land is classified as, quote unquote, heirs property, heirs property. And this is a designation that makes it vulnerable to being sold without the family's full consent. So because of this legal loophole, the family's land can be sold without the full consent of these um, legally of these legal co-owners. So as the Allens attempt to overcome a stacked legal system exacerbated by corrupt lawyers, and predatory developers, 
They are at the center of decades long, of a decades long fight to retain black owned land across the South. Now in the 45 years following the Civil War, which officially ends June 2nd, 1865, freed slaves and their descendants accumulated roughly 15 million acres of land across the United States. Most of this land was in the South because this is where the majority of us were because of, <laughs> because of slavery. So land ownership meant stability and, and, and opportunity for African-American families. This gave a shot uh, at upward mobility and economic security for future generations. And even though, and even though, even if you were a farmer and you were poor, right, you could grow your own food. That's different than living up north and working in a factory or working in a store or being up, up north working somewhere and you don't own land, you can't grow your own food. So, and then also, even if you grew something, if there was other, um, if there was other type of crops or something that you didn't have, if you grew some crops, you could barter, you could exchange something that you grow with another black farmer and you can make it that way also. So land ownership meant stability and opportunity for black families, a shot at upward mobility and economic security for future generations. The hard won property, the hard won property was generally used for farming. The prime, which was the primary occupation of most Southern African-Americans in the early 20th century, in the early 1900s. By 1920, as we already said, there were 925,000 Black-owned farms, representing about 14% of all farms in the United States. Over the course of the 20th century, however, the number, that number dropped, uh, and millions of farmers of all races, millions of farmers of all races were pushed off their land in the early part of the 20th century, including around 600,000 African-American farmers. And by 1975, just 45,000 African-American farms remained. Now, Pete Daniel is a scholar and is the author of the book called Dispossession, Dispossession, Discrimination Against African-American Farmers in the Age of Civil Rights, Discrimination against African-American farmers in the age of civil rights. He said, quote, it was almost as if the earth was opening up and swallowing black farmers. It was almost as if the earth was opening up and swallowing black farmers. Now, implicit in the decline of African-American farming and farmers was the loss of the land those farmers once tilled or those farmers once owned. Today, African-Americans compose less than 2% of the nation's farmers and only 1% of its rural land owners. You have a theft of about 14 million acres of land or so. Many factors contributed to the loss of Black-owned land during the 20th century, including systemic discrimination in lending by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's the Farmers Home Administration set up in 1930. You got to get this book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. You can order this. This is put out by the Nation of Islam. You can order this from uh, NOI.org or uh, checkfinalcall.com or check your local African-American uh, bookstore owner as well. Okay. Many factors contributed to the loss of black, uh, of black owned land during the 20th century, including systemic discrimination in lending by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 
the industrialization that lured workers into factories, okay, like I talked about, and the Great Migration. That, that happened largely during the Great Migration, African-Americans being lured out of the South uh, and going up North. And some of this, I'm not blaming so that I can understand this. You're being ran out, you're being terrorized by a Ku Klux Klan and Ku Klux Klan-like groups. You know, yeah, I can understand them wanting to get, wanting to leave and go up North. The industrialization that lured workers into factories and the Great Migration, but the lesser known issue of heirs property also played a role, allowing untold thousands of acres of land to be forcibly bought out from under black rural families, often second, third or fourth generation landowners whose ancestors were enslaved. This land is taken by real estate developers and speculators. By one estimate, 81 percent of these early African-American landowners did not make wheels. By one estimate, 81% of these early African-American landowners did not make a wheel, largely due to a lack of access to legal resources. And also a lot of projects didn't know. Their descendants then inherited this land without a clear title and it thereby became designated as heirs' property, which is a legal loophole allowing heirs' property, although heirs' property exists in many regions of the country, it's most prevalent in low-income communities. In the South, according to one estimate, more than 50% of heirs' property owners are African-American. In the South, According to one estimate, more than 50% of heirs property owners are African-American, many of them the descendants of slaves and sharecroppers. The Center for Heirs Property Preservation, based in Charleston County, South Carolina, estimates that there are 105,000 acres of heirs property in its 15-county service area alone. The property that we own was prime property. Over time, it's been sold and traded and stolen, said Alex Brown, who's a Gullah uh, native, Gullah Geechee native. Okay, you gotta, you gotta check out this article from The Nation, man. This is deep. This all deals with policy, politics, law. So th this is a law that has to change. Th th that land has to be preserved. Okay, that land has to be preserved. Check out this article from thenation.com. Uh, African-Americans have lost untold acres of land over uh, the last century. Okay, this is by Leah Douglas uh, from nation.com. This is from June of 2017. This is a year ago. Most people don't even know about this. This article came out a year ago. But then it ties into the story that came out on July 10th and July 11th that we talked about in the beginning about the African-American farmers saying that they were deliberately sold fake seeds and a scheme to steal their land. This is, this is all connected, okay? This is all connected. This is all tied together. Now, with the Poor People's Campaign, all right, of 67 and 68, Dr. King talked about the uh, need for ownership of land. Now, 1966, a lot of people don't know, Dr. King met with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. This is a year after Malcolm X was assassinated, February 21st, 1965. July 31st, 1963, 
while Malcolm is still a nation of Islam, Malcolm sends a letter to Dr. King requesting a meeting, and Malcolm is calling for a unification of civil rights leaders. He said if, if President John F. Kennedy can meet with Nikita Khrushchev, who was the uh, uh, prime minister of Russia at the time, he said if they could put aside their major differences and meet, he said then Negro leaders should be able to uh, put aside our minor differences. And he said that we need to come together and find a common solution to a common problem posed by a common enemy. Malcolm was still in the nation of Islam. And Malcolm is calling for a unification of civil rights leaders. See, see, a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people say, oh, I follow Dr. King, I follow Malcolm X. Toward the end of both of their lives, their ideologies were converging. Dr. King would sound like Malcolm, Malcolm would sound like Dr. King, especially when Malcolm goes uh, on his hodge to Mecca and he goes to other African nations. He goes to African nations, okay? And Malcolm gets involved in the civil rights movement. When Malcolm meets Dr. King, their one and only time when they meet, March, uh, 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 March 26, 1964, at the U.S. Senate debate for the, uh, about the Civil Rights Act, Malcolm tells Dr. King, I'm throwing all of my effort into the civil rights movement. This is after he leaves the Nation of Islam, which he officially separated March 8, 1964, earlier that month. Read the, read the article from WashingtonPost.com uh, about uh, Malcolm X and Dr. King only met one time. Read that article, uh, and they break down this history. Okay, that's from uh, WashingtonPost.com. All right. So Dr., uh, Dr. King meets with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in 1966. And on page 73 of How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. Now, this is not an attack on anybody who's white. We're dealing with, we're dealing with history. And if white people read this book, they would understand our history a whole lot more. And a lot, of this, a lot of this nonsense that exists today, and a lot of this hatred towards African Americans that exists today, a lot of that would cease because a lot of white people don't understand our history because it is purposely not taught to keep people fighting one another. So the 1% stays in power. So, um, and African-Americans need to read this book also because most of us don't understand this history either. But anyway, so just before page uh, 73, just before his murder by the United States government, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, has shifted his focus from a social and political agenda to the acquisition of land, okay? He, from 66 to 68, Dr. King is focusing on human rights, okay? He shifts from uh, civil rights to focus on human rights, okay? So in 1968, he spoke at a rural Mississippi church and put land uh, front and center. He put land front and center. We'll come to some of your comments here in just a minute, all right? How you all like this type of information? Dr. King said, at the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land through an act of Congress, he's talking about after slavery ends, okay? At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, 
They built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Farmers Home Administration, 1930. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies, not the farm, and they are the very people on bootstraps. And this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we're coming to get our check. Now, this is Dr. King in 1968, dealing with the Poor People's Campaign. And one of the things that Dr. King was fighting for was a guaranteed uh, uh, monthly income for poor people. So, you, so check this out, pages 73 and 74 of How White People Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. All right? And Dr. King didn't just start focusing on economics then, because see, August 28th, 1963, when he delivered a speech at the Lincoln Memorial, that we call I Have a Dream, that speech was originally called a canceled check because he's talking about economics in that speech. You have to go to loc.gov, which is Library of Congress's website, and read the text of the I Have a Dream speech. The original name of that speech was called a canceled check. That speech was not about a dream. People have the whole history, and most of us have never read the text of the speech. Okay? Most of us haven't even heard the full, the speech is almost about 17 minutes. See, every Dr. King day on the television, they, they play the last two or three minutes of it. They don't play where he's talking about fighting, you know, fighting against police brutality, fighting against racism. He said, we can't stop while the Negro in the South can't vote and the Negro in New York feels he has nothing to vote for. He talks about Negroes moving from uh, a smaller ghetto to a larger ghetto. And he testing, 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 testing. If you haven't picked up the mystery novel Severed by author V.L. Tyler, you are missing a serious mystery novel that has stumped literally every reader. Severed by author V.L. Tyler was a finalist at the Harlem Book Fair Phyllis Wheatley Book Awards in 2016. The setting is in Louisiana, where cut-off fingers start showing up in a small university town. Their protagonist is Dr. Lula, who is a black female forensic anthropologist teaching at the university who becomes involved in the investigation. Despite the scientific aspects of the story, because you are definitely going to learn something, the most remarkable aspect of the novel are the characters. The novel chronicles the diversity of the black experience and how we choose to embrace it or run away from it. Get your download today from Kindle, Apple, or Kobo. It's available at Amazon.com for $2.99 on the Kindle version or order it in paperback for only $17.99. You can also get it from your local bookstore and ask the bookstore to get it on their shelves if they don't already carry it. It's popular with book clubs because there's lots to talk about. Severed, a novel by author D.L. Tyler. You can also get more information at SeveredNovel.com. 
www.severednovel.com. Order your copy today. Whatever you do, keep the ending a secret. The book, One Chance to Be a Man, by author D-Revolution, could be one of the most important books in black America, says Dr. Kenneth Bowers. The book, One Chance to Be a Man, is a true story. The struggle of a little boy becoming a man, making the wrong choices for what appears to be the right reasons. When his mother dies from a drug overdose, he has to make a decision. Is the street life what he wants to keep living? When he asks himself this question, a whole new world opens up for him. He eventually takes everything he learned on the streets and turns it into poetry. One Chance to Be a Man by author D. Revolution is a book that has a 100% five-star rating and is guaranteed to hook you within the first 20 pages. It's available right now at Amazon.com, Amazon.com, or SoulConsciousBooks.net, SoulConsciousBooks.net. This book has no regrets or apologies, just good old-fashioned storytelling. It's guaranteed to hook you within the first 20 pages. Hey, what's going on? My name is Edward Williams, and I'm the founder and creator of Health by Any Necessary, and also the founder of the Black Self-Care Academy. Our mission is to aggressively inspire and radically improve the health conditions of our community by any means necessary. And the way we're going to do that is by empowering you with online health courses as well as online health coaching to help radically improve your health as well as overall ending our dependency on a healthcare system that has shown time after time that does not have our best interests in mind. Over at the Self-Care Academy, we'll be creating courses on how to prevent and reverse preventable diseases such as high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, high cholesterol. Uh, we also have general health improvement courses uh, such as Health 101, uh, Health Defense, and we also have courses on emotional eating, uh, workout programs, nutrition, and those are just to name a few. We'll be constantly adding to our academy and anything else that will help radically improve the health issues of our community. So make sure you go check out the Black Self-Care Academy. Uh, this is Edward Williams signing off. And as always, our community, our responsibility. Let's get it. Peace. Hotep, everybody. This is Michael M. Hotep, host of the African History Network show. Hey, if you are a business owner and you want to reach thousands of people on a weekly basis to market your service or product or maybe your upcoming event, then you want to advertise with the African History Network. Email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com, customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com for more information. And right now, for a limited time only, we have a special promotion. Buy one month, get one month free. All right. So look, okay, so we're back. Part two. Uh, how's everybody doing? This is Michael M. Hotep, host of the African History Network show. So we were um discussing um black farmers uh claiming they were deliberately sold um fake seeds. Black farmers claim they were sold fake seeds to steal their land. All right, this is part two. Um, Zoom froze up on me. So this is part two of it. How's everybody doing? Okay, so um, check out the, check. so this all deals with history, all right? And this also deals with policy, deals with law. All this is interconnected, all right? Uh, so check out the article from uh, thenation.com. 
thenation.com entitled African Americans have lost untold uh, acres of land over the last century. African Americans have lost untold acres of land over the last century. And we see uh, Dr. King was addressing this also with the Poor People's Campaign in 1967 and 1968. A lot of people don't know this. All right. So when we deal with uh, issues pertaining to the African American community, we deal with different uh, agendas and issues we're pushing um, during political cycles and election cycles. Um, the loss of millions of acres of land uh, that was owned by African Americans, this has to be addressed. OK, jobs are not jobs are not going to fix this. OK, jobs are not going to fix the, the theft of land and the loss of land. That's not going to address that, all right? And this is why uh, largely the uh, African-American farmers sued uh, the federal government. We know it was under President Obama that uh, uh, their lawsuit was paid out, okay? All right, so uh, this is a very, very important piece of history, and we see how this shows up uh, today. And we look at the Articles from rawstory.com and uh, atlantablackstar.com. Black farmers were deliberately sold fake seeds and schemed to steal their land. Report from uh, rawstory.com. Okay. And this, once again, uh, when, you, when you look at, uh, when you study history, you see that uh, land was always at the center of a lot of these fights, even going back to um, when you have early, early, when you have the colonies, the British colonies, Jamestown, Virginia, things like this, you have the British colonies, um, you're going to have the Head Rights uh, Acts. You have the Head Rights and you have uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of acres of land given away to uh, white people who were coming to this land and uh, they were given additional uh, land for each slave that they owned, each enslaved African, okay? And this is this is land being taken away from Native Americans. This is before the American Revolutionary War. Okay, Dr. Claude Anderson talks about this, and he talks about it also in his latest book, uh, The Black History Reader: 101 Questions You Never Thought to Ask. All right. So all this, uh, you know, um, historical events don't happen in a vacuum. They are the result of a sequence of historical events that. Um, that take place, that you have a domini, you have historical events that have a domino effect, right? And then uh, you have a larger event that takes place, but you have to understand the history of that problem to be able to properly address the problem and correct it, okay? So jobs are not going to, even though employment is important, jobs are important, jobs are not gonna correct this, all right? Especially African-Americans working for white people, that's not, <laughs> that's not gonna correct this issue. Okay. All right. So if you like this type of information, be sure to register for the uh, online courses that I teach. We just posted a link here. It's also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. But uh, it includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And that's a 14-hour, seven-session online course that I teach. It's all on demand. Uh, this bundle pack includes 10 courses. That's one of them in the court, in the uh, in the bundle pack. And uh, you can watch on your smartphone, your tablet, or your computer. Watch from around the world. Uh, it's on sale, $60, regularly $130. 
also includes great African women in history, the mothers of civilization, um, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and high election consequences. Also includes an online uh, class I did dealing with the film Black Panther, March 31st, 2018, and some other uh, classes also, okay? So if you need me to post the link again, let me know. It's also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, right on the homepage, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, all right? We'll repost the link. You can register for that tonight. As soon as you register, you can start watching, okay? As soon as you register, you can start watching the uh, online courses. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have uh, video clips. Uh, it's a lot of information covered. We'll post it again here, okay? Uh, and then... Look at the article from HuffingtonPost.com. Lynchings didn't disappear, it just evolved. Lynchings didn't disappear, it just evolved. And this dealt with the racial terrorism that many African Americans were dealing with. And many of us were ran off of our land also. Ran off of our land out of the South. This land confiscated by Europeans. And see, when you read something like this, how white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy, they deal with this history and they deal with how um, because of the theft of 2.3 billion acres of land from um, African-Americans, from indigenous Africans, from um, Native Americans, you have a maldistribution of wealth pond resources into the hands of Europeans. So you, can't, you, so you then can't say, well, because of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, you now have equality, everything's, uh, everything's equal now. No, it's not equal. What are you talking about? You compete with your wealth and resources. Everything's, no, it's not equal. Okay, I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the Civil Rights Movement was necessary. Yeah, the Civil Rights Act of 64 was necessary because we were saying we want all of our rights now. We want all of our rights today. We fought in all the wars. We want all of our rights today. But equal rights and equality are not the same thing. Equal, <laughs> you don't have equality until you have wealth parity and you have ownership of land. Equal rights and equality are not the same thing. Yes, equal rights are important. So we have to understand also the civil rights movement was evolving and it, it evolves into human rights, 66, 68, see Dr. King is focusing on human rights, all right? Yeah, so yeah, you gotta read this book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. And at the finalcall.com, finalcall.com, they had a four-part series, a four-part series of articles called Hard Work or Hardly Working, How White Folks Got So Rich. And these articles were summaries of this book. Okay, that's at finalcall.com. I'll pull up that article, post the link here. All right, so African American business owners, post your uh, name of your businesses here on the uh, thread of the broadcast. And uh, at the African History Network, we have uh, low cost opportunities for you to advertise, reach thousands of potential uh, uh, people, uh, thousands of potential, potential uh, customers. And uh, email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a special promotion. It's going to run one more day. We have six advertising slots left, okay? Uh, we put your 60-second uh, commercial into the audio podcast of our radio shows, uh, the African History Network show. 
and uh, six uh, advertise I have six slots left for advertisers. Okay, so we reach um, thousands of people weekly. Uh, we're on Blog Talk Radio, our Blog Talk Radio page, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Uh, our podcasts are uploaded to iTunes, our iTunes uh, page, uh, the African History Network show on iTunes, and it's also on CastBox, okay? Uh, they're also on some other platforms as well. Okay, so uh, so there was a four-part series from FinalCall.com back in 2011. I did radio shows dealing with these articles back then, but this is the this is the first one. Uh, this is the first installment: Hard Work or Hardly Work, and How White Folks Got So Rich. This deals with history. The foundation it says the foundation of American white supremacy sensed tenuously on a rickety base of lies and deceptions about how whites gained their wealth and status. A century and a half after slavery, the median wealth of white families is $100,000, and for black families, $5,000. Now, it's gone up for African-American families since then. It's at about 11000 now. Uh, this is back in 2011. The belief, the belief that whites achieved this 20 to 1 wealth advantage by hard work is an absurd and a historical fantasy. You have to understand the real history. Now, I'm not saying that you did not have white people who worked hard, who were farmers, who or people who worked hard, people who went to college, people who became doctors and lawyers. I'm not saying that you did not have some white people who worked hard, but if hard work was the common denominator for success in this country, then African-Americans will be the most successful people in the history of this country because who worked harder than the slave for 246 years? Who worked harder than the sharecropper? Who worked harder than somebody who was sentenced to the convict leasing system because of the black codes that was set up in 1865 and 1866, okay? So if, if hard work was the common denominator, if hard work was the secret to success in this country, then no one would be more successful than African-Americans. Hard work is not the secret to success, okay? You're dealing with, you're dealing with the maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources through laws and policies and ordinances and statutes and things like this. You're dealing with the theft of land. So even though you had some white people who did work hard and they studied and went to college and things like this, well, you got to talk about a history of segregation where a lot of African-Americans couldn't go to those institutions, couldn't go to those state-funded uh, and, 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 and state-ran institutions, okay? So you got you have to deal with a theft of land. You have to deal with how we were not compensated with land after slavery ended, but you give land to white peasants coming to this country because of the Homestead Act of 1862. Then you had a Southern Homestead Act of 1866 that gave 45 million acres of land the year after slavery ends. This almost exclusively goes to white people. It was in five, um, uh, five states, okay? So you, this, this don't have nothing to do with hard work. All right. So, you know, I'm all for, you know, hard work and things like this. But wait a second. That's not the history of this country. OK, <laughs> if you look at. If you go through. Because I'm taking this with me. See, this is one of the books I travel with. They have like four books I travel with. This is one of them. another book I travel with is the is, is uh, 
a book um, that has historical documents in it, like the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence. But this is one of the books I travel with. So this is the third edition, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. And one of the things they talk about here, page 27, page 27, one cannot overstate the value of cotton to white to world to white world propriety and correspondingly cotton's direct connection to the destruction of black civilization okay now this is one of the books we also use in our online course ancient Kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school okay and uh, i'll post that link again you can register at africanhistorynetwork.com they're all on demand it's a bundle pack of 10 uh, classes they're all on demand um and this is a uh this one this one right here understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach in school is a 14-hour seven session online courses bonus content also one cannot overstate the value of cotton to white world prosperity white world prosperity and correspondingly, cotton's direct connection to the destruction of black civilization. Now, that's a reference to Dr. Chancellor Williams, the destruction of black civilization, where he deals with history from 4500 BC up until the 1970s. By 1840, by 1840, now this is 11 years before the Civil War starts, by 1840, cotton exports were greater than all other exports combined. And America's 75,000 cotton plantations generated three-fourths of the world's cotton supply. Now, the 75,000 cotton plantations that the U.S. had generated three-quarters of the world's cotton supply. Cotton was king, okay? At least six of every 10 Africans worked directly in cotton production. The others were largely engaged in growing food and building housing for use by the cotton cultivating slaves. Construction, constructing roads, bridges, and ports for cotton shipping and, trans, and transport, and tending the homes and families of cotton masters, cotton traders, and cotton businessmen. Moreover, enslaved Africans represented two-thirds of plantation families' total wealth, total wealth, okay? Enslaved Africans represented two-thirds of a plantation family's total wealth with half of the remainder in the land they worked, okay? A plantation family depended on the very labor of the enslaved Africans for its total income, protection, and survival. All right, this is deep. Now, the other thing that we have to understand is there were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from uh, 1865, so from 1619 up until 1865. There were at least um, uh, 262 skills, trades, and crafts that we had because we were the shipbuilders, we were the engineers, we were the basket makers, the furniture makers, the barrel makers, you know, blacksmiths, hemp baggers, we tended to the animals, we were the agriculturalists. There were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865, all right? 
And then, uh, and these skills, trades, and crafts are going to be used to build this country. But after slavery ends, guess what happens? Now you have these major labor unions created, like the National Labor Union created in 1866. Slavery ends in 1865. And these labor unions are largely going to lock African Americans out of these jobs we have been doing for free for 246 years. Now that we're free and we can compete for wages, now they create these labor unions and they have contracts with various various industries that say you can only hire white men that belong to these labor these unions. And but they're going to allow European peasants coming to this country, European immigrants coming to the, to this country. They allow them to join the unions, okay? But we're going to be locked out of them. All right, sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five, not sixteen ninety. Sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five. All right. Thanks, uh, Dupree. Okay, so, uh, and I also, if you like this type of information we share with you, uh, share at the African History Network. If you want to donate to the African History Network, you can do that as well. That helps uh, support us also. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show, PayPal.me, the AHN show. And this also helps when I have to travel to different events like this weekend at the Black Homeschooling Conference. Because uh, I have to pay for all that also. Uh, that helps with that as well. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. So if you want to donate five, ten, uh, twenty-five, fifty, a hundred dollars, that helps us. And uh, if you want to set it up for a recurring donation on the same date each month, you can do that as well if you like. That that helps support us also. That helps us stay on the air, keep broadcasting, keep doing the research, pay the bills, etc. Okay, so. Um, uh, this is a powerful book right here. All right, now, let me show you this quickly here. Uh, what do we have to do? We have to do, uh, okay. I'm gonna show you this uh, slide, this PowerPoint slide here. And in the online course, we have a PowerPoint present, we do a PowerPoint presentation also, it's very visual. Uh, so let me pull this up here and share screen. Okay, here we go. All right, still trying to get used to Zoom. Okay, so uh, there were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that we had in this country up until 18, uh, 1619 to 1865. And uh, that information is at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African History, but it comes from uh, the book called The Other Slaves, The Other Slaves. Artisans and Craftsmen, okay, by um, uh, James uh, by James Newton and Ronald Lewis came out in 1978. All right, and uh, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, um, when you go through the main exhibit, they have this uh, before slavery, and they have a replica of a slave ship, and then you come out on the other side, and they uh, talk about Frederick Douglass and and Harriet Tubman, things like this. They have this big display on the wall big display on the wall. And they list the different skills, trades, and crafts we had in this country from uh, 1619 to 1865. We were anchor makers, artists, bakers, barrel makers, bartenders, basket makers, beer makers, blacksmiths, bricklayers, brick makers, cabinet makers, cigar makers, cooks, coppersmiths, decorative furnishers, uh, fishermen, engineers, gardeners, hemp baggers, which is the fiber of the marijuana plant because Cannabis was a crop grown in the colonies, in the 13 colonies, and a lot of, a lot of the colonies. Uh, cannabis was a crop that was grown. 
And we know marijuana was legal in this country up until 1937, where Harry J. Harry J. Anslinger, who was the first chairman of the National Narcotics Commission, when he lied in his test testimony to Congress, okay, uh, marijuana was legal in this country. But because Mexicans were using it, and because uh, it was called cannabis originally, uh, marijuana was a, is a Spanish term. And uh, you had Mexicans coming to this country in the early 1900s and the uh, hatred and bigotry towards them uh, became associated with the word marijuana. So it was relabeled marijuana. And uh, Harry J. Anslinger said basically this too, there were rumors that white women craved black men sexually when they were high on marijuana, okay? There were rumors about this. And uh, he said that uh, marijuana was used by uh, jazz singers and, and Negroes and, and Filipinos and Mexicans, things like this. Uh, so this, they, they, this is why the uh, marijuana uh, tax was uh, instituted in 1937, which basically made it illegal except for medicinal purposes. Read the article from Timeline.com, Timeline.com. How a racist hate monger masterminded America's war on drugs. This is not Richard Nixon. This is Harry J. Anslinger. Harry Anslinger conflated drug use, race, and music to criminalize non-whiteness and create a prison industrial complex. This is from Timeline.com, February 28, 2018. How a racist hate monger masterminded America's war on drugs. You got to understand... Uh, see, as long as white people were using marijuana, it was fine. <laughs> as long as white people were using cannabis, it was okay, not a problem. Same thing with heroin or opium, opium. See, when Chinese start using opium, now nah, it's a problem. See, the first um, anti-drug law was in 1875, the Anti-Opium Act coming out of California because, of, because the Chinese were using opium. And what are these Chinese men going to do when they're high on opium? Are they going to try to rape white women? This is why it was made illegal. As long as white women were using opium, as long as white people were using opium, it's no problem. Okay. All right. So, um, herb doctors, horse trainers, hunters, locksmiths. Okay. This is this is some real history here. All right. So, some of the things we deal with in, in the uh, online course, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, you deal with, uh, you know. 800-year occupation by, of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, the teachings they take in from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, and we see reflected in the layout of Washington, D.C., because the layout of Washington, D.C. is based upon ancient uh, African principles, and uh, you see symbolism coming out of ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, because 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, and Freemasonry is based upon watered-down teachings coming out of ancient Egypt, taken into Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who go into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal in 711 AD. And we, when we look at Freemasonry, we see that the word Mason is derived from the Latin words mass and sun. Mason means child of light and expresses the desire to pursue light, um, to pursue light, which is a metaphor for the sun, and this symbolizes knowledge. The term child of light or sons and daughters of light was first used to identify students who had completed 42 years of study in uh, the temples of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. 
Many Masonic temples were modeled after the temples of ancient Kemet, places where light or knowledge was imparted in a series of steps or degrees. So the concept of you going to college, especially a liberal arts college, because the seven liberal arts were taught in these temples, like rhetoric and arithmetic and things like this. George G.M. James talks about this in Stolen Legacy, and he talks about the trivium and the quadrivium, the three and the four, okay? Um, this, uh, so you get your credentials when you go to college in a series of, in a series of steps or degrees. This is where this comes from, okay? So we have to, we have to understand this history. Read um, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. Tony's a friend of mine. Tony's a brilliant scholar. We're in the Black Friday documentaries together. Read pages 18 and 32, Egypt on the Potomac, all right? And 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence uh, were Freemasons. 13 of the 39 signers of the U.S. Constitution signed September 17, 1787 were Freemasons. Okay, we talk about Osara, Set, and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus, and the cultural theft of Osset, who the who Europeans call Isis, in the TV show The Secrets of Isis that came on Saturday mornings in the 1970s on CBS when they had the Shazam and Isis out. And we see symbols of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, uh, represented in her costume. Uh, and when you watch the show, um, they talk about, and when the show comes on, the trailer, you know, they talk about um, she uh, the, she gets her powers from ancient Egypt, and they talk about the daughters of Hathor, which is a deity, Heteru, a deity coming out of, or Neteru, a Neter, uh, or deity or goddess coming out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. And we see that, um, you know, Aset, who the Greeks call Isis, gave birth to the baby Heru on December 25th. It was a virgin birth, immaculate conception. Uh, we see the story, the, uh, the, the story of Asara set in Heru, the first Holy Trinity, goes back to at least 3300 BC in ancient Nubia, what the Greeks call Nubia, what we call Ta-Nehesi or Ta-Seti. And this is Nubia is the mother of ancient Kemet or ancient Egypt. And we see from uh, set in Heru, we get the Black Madonna and Child, which was worshipped all throughout Europe. Europeans worship the Black woman. All throughout Europe, Europeans worship the Black woman. Until the rise of white supremacy, late 1400s, early 1500s, then you have a rise in the phenotype of Europeans with the rise of white supremacy and Europeans conquering people's land and, and rebuilding their respective European countries. You have an ascendancy uh, of, of white supremacy and ascendancy of the European phenotype. And a lot of these traditionally African uh, images are going to be re reinterpreted as European. So you have Michelangelo paid in the Sistine Chapel using his relatives as uh, images of God and Adam and Eve, things like this, right? So uh, we, we deal with the, the ancient history, we deal with thousands of years of history, because you have to understand the chronology of history. We deal with things chronologically. You can't start studying uh, slavery in, uh, in the 1440s with the Portuguese involvement or in uh, 1619, Jamestown, Virginia, things like this. No, you have to understand the chronology of history. So we deal with, uh, well, we deal with Christopher Columbus because Columbus, Columbus never came to this land we call the United States of America. Closest he came here was Cuba, which is 90 miles away. So we deal with what was the transatlantic slave trade? What were some of the events that led up to the transatlantic slave trade? Uh, starting, what role did Christopher Columbus play? Because Columbus was essential 
crucial to um, laying the foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism, the exploitation of indigenous people, because they're gonna be plantations set up, especially sugarcane plantations set up in these areas that uh, Columbus is conquering, like Haiti, or what they call Hispaniola, and um, Cuba, Jamaica, things like this, right? Uh, what were some of the events that led up to the transatlantic slave trade starting? What role did Christopher Columbus play? When did Africans first come to the U.S. as slaves? Because, you know, we, we talk about, we're taught about August 20th, 1619, Jamestown, Virginia. And even though that did happen, the Spanish were taking Africans into, like, territory we call South Carolina in the 1520s. That's 100 years before Jamestown, Virginia. But this was our land stolen from us, African people. We've been here going back at least 51,700 years. That's the, the Khoisan, who come from Southern Africa, ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa. They have the oldest DNA on the planet. They go all around the world. And uh, Dr. David M. Hotep deals with this in his book, uh, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. We did what Af did Africans sell themselves into slavery in that complicated history. Were African people in America before the slave trade? Because this was our land stolen before us. This is why when Europeans say, go back to Africa, I'm like, wait a second, we were here before you came into existence. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yes, we originally came from Africa, but it was much longer ago than we're taught. We do it the 800 year occupation of Europe by Africans known as the Moors, uh, shocking archeological discoveries that are causing experts to rethink everything. Because when these archeological discoveries come out, like uh, in uh, Morocco, June or June or July 2017, they discovered uh, skeletons of Homo sapiens, modern man, Homo sapiens, that date back 300,000, 350,000 years ago, which is 100,000 years older than the oldest human remains uh, of modern man they have found in Ethiopia that date back 195,000 years ago. So when these discoveries take place, they keep having to back the dates up. Juvenile had a song called Back That Thing Up. They keep having to back the dates up. The deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. We deal with insurance companies that took out insurance policies, not just on slave ships, but enslaved Africans on the plantations. There were over 40 insurance companies, like the Nautilus Mutual Life Insurance, Nautilus Mutual Life Insurance Company. It starts in the spring of 1845 in Manhattan. And then they changed the name to the New York Life Insurance Company. They took out insurance policies on enslaved Africans the first three years they, they existed about 508 insurance policies in their first three years. We did a Freemasonry America and the Founding Fathers, origins of the term America and Africa, because it's deeper than a lot of people think. The problem with slave movies, why we bombarded with slave movies and a slave-themed TV show, I think is designed to keep us in the slave mentality and also to really terrorize and traumatize African-Americans as well. Um, Asara said Heru, we talked about the link to ancient Kemet, Egypt, and early Christianity. Uh, the fake Willie Lynch letter, 1712, was Willie Lynch never historically existed. Uh, don't know why we keep talking about a Willie Lynch letter, Willie Lynch theory. Willie Lynch never historically existed. The letter's been proven to be a fraud. Their words in the Willie Lynch letter didn't, didn't even exist in the early 18th century, 1712. But Dr. David M. Hotep was a friend of mine. He wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. He, documented evidence. he holds the world's first ever PhD in ancient African history. You can visit his website, historictruth.info, historictruth.info. He talks about a discovery made in Allendale County, South Carolina, 
2004, 2004 by Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. And uh, they discovered uh, uh, artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints and lava, footprints and lava, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, um, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeleton structures, and tools, 13 different disciplines fairly documenting an African presence in this country uh, going back at least 51,700 years ago. Yeah, Willie Lynch letters a fraud. Willie Lynch never historically existed, okay? When you research the letter, you find words like self-refueling, which is a 20th century term, comes from the transportation industry. The words in that, the words in the Willie Lynch letter that didn't exist, it was written by Dr. Kwabina Ashanti in 1970. Okay, he came out and admitted he wrote the Willie Lynch letter. There are words that didn't exist in the early 18th century, one. Two, the words that did exist but were used differently in the 18th century. You have to understand um, contextual words. You have to understand sentence structure. That's, that's, that's something that was written in the uh, mid to late uh, 20th century, not the 18th century. So there are clues. We understand history and word usage and periods of time. There are clues that tell you that wasn't even written in the early 18th century. It's a fraud. So this is an article from ScienceDaily.com. It's a scientific website, ScienceDaily.com. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. This came out 14 years ago, November 18, 2004. Here's, a, here's their summary of what the article says. This deals with Dr. Al, this is Dr. Albert Goodyear who made the discovery in 2004, Allendale County, South Carolina. Radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archeologist, Dr. Albert Goodyear, indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. This is before Native Americans came into existence. Because when you, when you read the first Americans with African documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel, he talks about, uh, based upon the evidence, right? They deal with how um, the people who we call the Native Americans are the offspring of an intermixing of Africans, like the Khoisan, who come here tens of thousands of years ago, and Asians who come here around 3000 BC and they intermix, and their offspring are who we call Native Americans. These were usually a dark-skinned people, not the light-skinned, almost white-looking Native Americans you see today. And many of those people are descendants of white people who had their names added to the Dawes Rolls, the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, named after Senator Henry L. Dawes, which was another land giveaway, 138 million acres of land, okay? And most of that land was supposed to go to African-Americans and Black Indians and Native Americans. Two-thirds go to white people who paid $5 to have their names added to the Dawes Rolls because to um, get your name added to the, to the Dawes Rolls and get this allocation, um, these black Indians and you know, Native Americans, things like that, they had to anglicize their names. So this opened it up, opened up a door for white people, you know, name uh, John Smith or whatever, to pay $5 to have their names added and get this free land. Okay, this is history. And this 
deals with why things are the way they are today. You have to understand the history to understand uh, to, to, to understand how to get out of out of a predicament. You have to understand the history of that problem. All right. And also what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Okay. All right. So those of you that are African-American business owners, be sure to uh, uh, tell us the name of your business. You can register. I mean, you can uh, email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have one more day of our special promotion, buy one month, get one month free, of advertising with the African History Network. And uh, we have six slots left because uh, we put your commercial in the uh, podcast, uh, audio podcast of our radio show, the African History Network show that I'm the host of. And that's my show. been doing it eight years. And um, if you don't have a commercial, we can record one for you, but we have six six slots left, okay? So we have one day left of this promotion. Buy one month, get one month free. All right, so who do we have here? Um, I do pre, Leticia says speak the truth. So how you all like this type of information? Okay, I'm going to screenshot, add to my notebook di uh, diary, said Dupree. We were always here and fully modernized, say your vet day. Happened. I ain't one of these people that, that go off the deep end and say the transatlantic slave trade never happened that much of BS. Yes, it did. But you have to understand the chronology of history. You can't just look at the last 500 years of history. You have to look at the last 50,000. Okay? This is what I deal with in the online classes that I teach. You have to deal, I don't just deal with the last 500 years of history. A lot of people, just deal with African-American history. No, you got to look at the last 50,000 years of history, at least. Okay. And you have to understand the transatlantic slave trade. You have to understand the history of the Moors in Europe for 800 years. Okay. This is extremely important to understand this chronology of history. Okay. Willie Lynch letters a fraud said Dupree. Yes, it is. Okay, uh, Sonia, I thought he was about to talk about the black farmers. This is part two. We talked about the black farmers in part one. Uh, our broadcast was interrupted. Zoom froze up on me, so I had to come back and continue. I talked about it at the beginning of the broadcast, but you got to go back and watch part one while I went deep into it. This is part two. Uh, Matthew, okay, how you doing? Classes are good. The Moors and the Mahafa. Yeah, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? That's, uh, we have a bundle pack of online courses. They all sell $60 regularly, $130. Um, it's 10 courses in the bundle pack, okay? And we'll post a link here for you. All right. So we got Matthew, trying to get some of your comments. Glenda, good evening. How you doing, Glenda? Those in Atlanta, I'll be in Atlanta this weekend, uh, July 13th through the 15th at the Liberated Minds Black Home School and Education Expo. The Liberated Minds Black Home School and Education Expo. It's taking place at the Piedmont Technical Center. 
If you want to learn more about homeschooling children or just educating African-American children, especially from an African-centered perspective, you want to be here, liberatedmindsexpo.com, liberatedmindsexpo.com. This is the website. So I'm on a panel discussion on Friday uh, and on Sunday. I'll be a vendor all three days. And uh, Sunday, I do my presentation. I'm, uh, I'm on a panel discussion Sunday, and I'm a, uh, I present on Sunday about 1 p.m. My presentation is on lessons from the film Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, lessons from the film Black Panther, economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda the vote. All right, so, and we have a presentation on DVD at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also. All right. Um, okay. So let's get a couple more of uh, I listen to that every day at work over and over. Matthew said, okay, dealing with uh, online classes that I teach. All right, Dupree said, yes, and we don't go back far enough before these races existed. Uh, yeah, the concept of race evolved over 300 year period of time, 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. The concept of race is, very, is relatively uh, new. Uh, in ancient times, races did not exist. Okay, Bob Marley even knew with one love. Danell said, man, I love being enlightened. All right. Okay, and then also, uh, if you like this type of information, if you want to donate to the African History Network, that helps us out a lot as well. It helps us keep doing the research. If you like this type of information, and I'll just keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, pay the bills, et cetera, okay? And I'll be broadcasting live. We're going to do some live broadcasts from uh, the Black Homeschooling Conference. I'm going to do some interviews. Some I'll be able to broadcast live. Some will uh, post later and um, air on my radio show also. Uh, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. We're on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for uh, information how to listen to the show live and listen to the audio podcast because we have eight, over 800 audio podcasts at uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? So this Sunday, they'll rebroadcast last Sunday's show because I'll be in Atlanta, but we'll be back on live the following Sunday, right? Let's see, we also have a uh, six DVD Black Panther bundle pack of, uh, of uh, six of my DVD presentations and includes three of my lectures dealing with the film Black Panther and then also three other lectures also. Regularly $75 on sale, $45 at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. That's a six DVD Black Panther bundle pack, okay? Uh, are you a student or have studied under Ishaka Musa Barashango? Now, I'm not a student of Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango, but I did read his books, um, African People, European Holidays, and Mental Genocide, uh, book one and book two. And I've, I've watched some of his lectures because uh, Minister Malik Shabazz here in Detroit was a student of his, and he would bring him in to do lectures. So I got some DVD lectures Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango by Minister Malisha, from Minister Malisha Bass here in Detroit. So I did not know him personally. I never met him. Uh, I did not, I don't, I did not study under him, but I have studied his work. 
Okay, mm-hmm. Dr. Shaka Musa Bereshango mm-hmm. wrote uh, African People and European Holidays, A Mental Genocide, book one and book two. All right, Larry's in Arkansas. Okay, guys, look, we got to get out of here. Uh, 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 African American business owners, I didn't see you all post the name of your businesses, anything like that. I was going to give you, I was going to shout out your businesses. I, I ain't see that. Any any black business owners here? Um, and uh, be sure to email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll send you information about advertising with the African History Network. Um, customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. We can get you started uh, right away, actually. We also put your flyer or your graphic in our email newsletter uh, that we send out three to four times a week. We have a database of uh, 23,000 people, 23,000 subscribers to our email newsletter. Dupree said, I'm just a researcher. I hear people on the internet go back and Go back and read the books they give out, okay? Also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we have a recommended reading list of about 60 books there. So a lot of people ask, well, what book should I read? Where should I start? So we don't sell books, but I put together a recommended reading list of books uh, to help people as well, okay? So AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, top of the page, click on, uh, on the menu, click on book list. Natasha said, I love listening to you. All right, thanks, Natasha. Uh, thank you for the clarity on the on these thieving neighbors, said Dupree. All right. Natasha, have you registered for our online, the online courses I teach? Or Natasha? Is it Natasha? Natasha, Natasha. Okay, Donald said, great deal. I just purchased six acres. Good job. Uh, we'll continue to watch AAC Enterprise, LLC, a 2.3 million commercial construction firms at 2.3 2.3 million dollars construction firm is tough but i'm a i'm a true student under you as well all right good purchase six acres of land we need to purchase land land is the foundation for freedom so we were we were free we were set free from slavery right but we we were in a uh land land is the foundation for independence and a people can't be truly free without ownership of land, okay? It's not just money. You need ownership of land. Where are you gonna grow food? The the foundation of freedom is is food, clothing, shelter, and safety. If you're relying upon other people to provide food for you, even though you have money to buy the food, you and what happens when they don't wanna sell you any more food? You gotta, Ownership of land is at the foundation. And this is this is what was understood after slavery ended. And they're giving away millions of acres of land to white people. Okay? That period of time called Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, is extremely crucial because that sets a trajectory of where we are today. And us being largely locked out of that. Now, you're going to have... General Order Number Three issued January 1865, 40 acre, what we call 40 acres in the mule. But this gave away 400,000, basically 400,000 acres of land in coastal area 
in South Carolina and Georgia. It did not apply to all of the South. It was South Carolina and Georgia. You have about 40,000 former slaves that are going to take advantage of this. But most of that land is going to be taken back by President Andrew Johnson, who was a white supremacist and who was a sympathizer of the uh, plantation owners, okay, who, who lost their land. The majority of their land is going to be given back to them, the plantation owners. And then, you know, we're going to have the um, sharecropping system. And we're going to have to, we're going to re be required to have uh, labor contracts. They're going to tie us back to a lot of these plantations that we were freed from. And get, we get locked into the sharecropping system. So even in spite of that, you can have African-Americans, in spite of all that, who are able to save some money and to buy some land. And we're going to lose the majority of that. Okay, so this, this, this history is important. So when we deal with pushing political agendas, you got to have remedies for this maldistribution of land, this theft of land. And jobs is not a remedy for that. Yes, employment is important, but jobs, you can't just, you can't come to African-Americans and say, we're going to get you some jobs. You get to get the hell out of here with that. I'm sorry. Yes, employment is important, but that is not that jobs do not compensate for the theft of land. Okay, you can't, no. <laughs> no. All right. How to register for your class. Okay, Brandy asks how to register. Okay, we'll post a link again here. Um, one, you can go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, or we'll post a link here. It says register here. Uh, for our online uh, courses, and uh, this is the link for the bundle pack. It's on sale right now, $60, regularly $130. This is a steal. I don't know how much longer because we give up a lot, and I got to pay for the platform that is on Learn World. Hell, I just paid Learn World a couple of days ago. Um, so this is a 10-course bundle pack. It includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, it includes African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. And understand the transatlantic slave trade, that is a 14-hour, seven-session course that I did. These are all on demand. Watch at your own pace. This includes um, how Richard Nixon's war on drugs was a war on the African-American community, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. There's some other ones also in there, okay? So we posted the link. Uh, let me know that you got it. Uh, let me know that you got the link. And uh, you can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? And in the um, uh, description of this broadcast, we have the uh, link there also, okay? All right, let's see here. But all the but people ask why is this history so important? Now they don't ask other ethnic groups why is their history so important. But see, your history and culture gives you, like I said, it gives you your VIPs, your values, your interests, and your principles. It influences your economic empowerment, influences your political empowerment. All right. Every ethnic group in America understands that they have to become the number one employers of their own people. 
their history and culture teaches them that the only way that they're going to survive is through economic empowerment. They leverage their, they leverage their economics to uh, deal with their politics and to control their politics. So it's, a, it's contrary to popular belief. Other ethnic groups do vote. Even the Koch brothers vote. They just use their money to influence politics. Okay? Asians vote. Hispanics vote. Other ethnic groups vote. But they leverage their economics to enforce and to control their politics. So um, when Dr. Leonard Jeffries was one of my teachers, when Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Professor James Small, when they teach, and Dr. Professor James Small is one of my teachers also, they talk about the pyramid principle, and I deal with this also in some of my presentations. So this is the pyramid of Khafre in Giza, pyramid of the Nesubiti or Pharaoh Khafre at Giza. Pyramid has three sides. The foundation is African history and culture. This gives you your values, your interests, and your principles. This creates a cultural paradigm that you see reality through. Your history and culture influences your economic empowerment, influences your economics, okay? This tells you that what type of business is to have and, and it teaches you that you have to control the economics in your community. You have to own the land in your community, own the gas stations and grocery stores, the businesses, the newspapers, own the media, the TV stations, the newspapers, control the educational system in your community, okay? Control the media, et cetera. And, 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 and you use your economics, your economics influences your politics. That influences that, that the economic empowerment controls your political empowerment. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Politics goes way beyond voting. Voting is important, okay? And the people that tell you voting is not important, they're probably involved in suppressing your vote or they're being told, they're being paid to tell you don't vote. Because if, you, if your vote didn't matter, then why are Republicans involved in voter suppression tactics? 2016 election cycle, 14 new states have voter ID laws. These are states that had uh, Republican-dominated state legislatures. If your vote didn't matter, why did Republicans engage in unprecedented voter suppression in the 2016 election cycle? Republicans feared our vote more than we valued our vote. We still don't even we still don't understand this. We still don't understand what happened in 2016, the rampant voter suppression, because Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that we still don't understand was gutted with the 2013 Supreme Court case of Shelby County versus Holder, where Shelby County sued Attorney General Eric Holder. We still don't understand this. And yet 16.4 million African-Americans registered to vote in 2016, only 59% voted, which was a seven percentage point drop of 66% of African-Americans registered to vote voting in the 2012 election cycle when President Obama was on the ballot. Part of that had to do with voter apathy. Part of that had to do with voter suppression. We still don't get it. And Donald Trump won the three battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania by 78,000 votes. And only 59% of the 16.4 million African-Americans registered to vote voted. If your vote didn't matter, why did Republicans engage in unprecedented voter suppression, violations of the Ku Klux Klan Act? 1871, which was an anti-intimidation uh, uh, law. Why were there 868 fewer polling places in the 2016 election cycle? The Nation.com has an article dealing with 
868 fewer polling places in 2016 election cycle. Why did that take place? We still don't understand what happened. So this is the pyramid principle. We have to have a synthesis of the African history and culture, economic empowerment, political empowerment. Unfortunately, see my degrees in business administration with a major in marketing. I've taught entrepreneurship for a number of years, managed a business consulting company for seven years. I understand this very well. I've been studying African history and culture for 26 years, but I understand the need for a synthesis of it. Dr. Leonard Jeffries, one of my teachers, he said we have to have a synthesis of the history and culture, economic empowerment, political empowerment. We just can't have the history and culture and speak metal netter and don't control our economics and don't want to deal with, you know, economics because we say, oh, that's capitalism. No. You have to have a synthesis of all of this. Okay, see if you can, what good is speaking, what good is reading metal netter and you can't read the handwriting on the wall? You don't understand politics. You can't control the politics in your community. Metal netter is important. But what made ancient chemists so great is they had control of their natural resources. They had a political structure. They had their history and culture in place. And they had an army to protect what they had. They had a synthesis. When you study, when you study the uh, African, great African nations that we talk about every, every Black History Month, African American History Month, we talk about Ghana, Shanghai, Mali, we talk about Nubia, all this stuff. They had, they had their history and culture intact, which gave them their foundation. They controlled their resources. They controlled their economics. They controlled resources. They had, they had trade with other nations usually. Oftentimes, these African nations, they had an African marketplace, okay? They had a political structure. I know a lot of us like to call each other kings and queens, but I haven't found a nation yet where they have more than one king or queen at the time. At a time, I can't. If you know of an African nation where there was more than one king or queen at a time when they're Subiti, let me know. There may be one. There may be. You may find one at one point in time. I know we like to call each other kings and queens, and that's better than calling each other the N word. But when you study African nations, they didn't have more than one king or queen or Oba uh, uh, at a time. But when you study Ghana, Ghana has salt mines and gold mines. They, you study Mali, you study Songhai, things like this. They had, they had their history and culture intact largely, their spiritual systems. Even after you know their Islam is imposed upon them, still they have a you know an African cultural basis. They have control of resources. Okay, they have control of natural resources. They, they, they can grow their own food, their own land. They can grow their own food. They have a so they have an economy, and they have a political structure as well. There's a political structure. There's politics involved. So how is it today? Many of our quote unquote conscious people just want to deal with the foundation level of history and culture, but don't want to deal with economics and politics. And that's what made these African nations that they keep talking about so great. It wasn't just the history and culture. It wasn't just the spiritual system. It wasn't just the celebrations they had. They had a synthesis of the history and culture, the economics, and the politics. This is, this is what many of us are missing. Okay? We just want to deal with the history and culture. While other people control the economics in your community. 
and and you got you got the political party to vote people out of office and don't do it. you get <laughs> you got the power to vote people out of office right city council mayor that are mistreating you and don't do it what you do for yourself what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. You keep calling yourself an N-word, you're going to think and act like one. You may even respond when people call you one. So when we so when we look at the film Black Panther, and you see Black Panther shirt, this is one of the most powerful, powerful movies that have come out probably in the last 20 years. If you understand African history and culture and spiritual systems, and you understand the Black Panther comic book, the history of the comic book, you understand African language. And this is, I'm doing a presentation then with the film Black Panther at the uh, at the uh, Liberating Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo this weekend, July 13th through the 15th. And my presentation is on lessons from the film Black Panther. What can we take from the film and actually use? Lessons from the film Black Panther, economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda to vote. So we see that the character of the Black Panther created by uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby is first introduced in volume one, issue 52 of the Fantastic Four, July 1966. Now this is before the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense is created October 16, 1966 by Huey P. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. So this wasn't copying off of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, no. But in the in the, in the in this episode in this first issue, right, the Black Panther defeats the Fantastic Four in their own comic book. We've never seen anything like this before. The Black T'Chaka, he defeats the Fantastic Four in their own comic book. Okay, so you have him. Uh, so when we see the film Black Panther, we see. Uh, the wealth and we see Wakanda, the fictitious African nation of Wakanda, and we see they have their history and culture and all this stuff intact. And there are 18 different African tribes that make up Wakanda. So T'Chaka is the king of all of Wakanda. He's the chieftain of the Panther cult. And their deity is Bast, which comes from Bastet. Bastet was a, a, a deity, a goddess, a, a netter coming out of ancient Kemet, which, who was depicted with a, it was a, a, a female body who had the head of a black cat. But, because uh, a lot of this stuff goes back to ancient Kemet. But when we see Wakanda, in Wakanda we see they control their economics, they have a political structure, a political system, they control their natural resources. Wakanda is the most technologically advanced nation on earth because their history was not interrupted by slavery and colonialism. So it gives us an idea of what Africa could look like if our history had not been interrupted by slavery and colonialism. So in Wakanda, they control, they have their history and culture intact. 
spiritual systems, African spiritual systems. They control their natural their natural resources. They own land. They have vibranium. They control their natural resources. They grow their own food. They control their economics and they control their politics. We see it right in front of us. Okay, all right. So we have uh, the uh, bundle, my bundle pack of uh, some DVD lectures. I have 40 of my presentations on DVD. I got some more stuff I recorded, but I haven't had a chance to put on DVD yet. But we have the uh, six DVD Black Panther bundle pack. Um, and uh, this, uh, that bundle pack is $45, regularly $75, okay? It's available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll post the link here again also for that. Um, Mimi said, I never answered to the N-word, my eldest son, while having the right of... Uh, Right away, riding his bike was yelled at by a white man driving a rusty red truck. Called him the N word to him get out the way. Yeah, and see, we're the we're the only people who put uh, racial slurs derogatory to us in our own music and have a proliferation of. It. We're the only people who do that largely, and we're the only people who would tolerate something like that. Because the only people who don't understand their history and culture would allow their music to dehumanize them like that. We're the only people who would tolerate something like that. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you've been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right, uh, so we'll post this link here for the uh, for the bundle pack. All right, and then also remember, uh, Return of the Gods is coming up August tenth through the twelfth in um, uh, in San Diego. I'll be at Return of the Gods. Uh, in San Diego, uh, we'll post a link for that as well. Uh, you can also visit return the gods, uh, dot ENT. Okay. We also have it available at our website. We have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also it's right on the homepage. Then we'll return to the gods. I'll be speaking there. I'm being honest. Here and Professor Kaba Kamane uh, will be there as well uh, from the Hidden Colors documentaries. Uh, it's hosted by Lord Jamar and Raw Digger uh, also. Uh, Soleil will be there. Uh, Soleil, the singer uh, who was on uh, JT Money's song. It was JT Money's song back in the day so late all right so look we got to get out of here hey remember at the african history network we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of african descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior uh 
It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. I'll talk to you next time. Peace.